Hey, this is Gerd Tundle, and welcome to the Inner Light Project. This show is for anyone who's wanting to lead a happier, healthier, and enlightened life. Create more self-love, inject more joy and abundance into their daily life. Join me for inspiring interviews and spiritual topics so you can shine your inner light. Hello and welcome to the Inner Light Project. My name is Gerd Tundel and oh my god, I'm just so grateful that we are in mid-January right now. There is definitely a massive transformation happening in the world right now. I know we're actually going through a bit of a karmic cycle and for some people it's a 15-year cycle that's ending on the 20th of January. So at the end of this week there is going to be massive shifts for a lot of people and a lot of the lessons that they have to learn in the 15 years are now finally being let go. And so I just really was like sitting in with everything these last few weeks and, and really just looking at how we share everything on this podcast. And I thought, you know what, it's time to really just go on a deeper level than ever before. So every month I will be talking about a topic uh, that resonates with what I'll be sharing every month. And that will be the conversations that I'll be having with people on the show or by myself. And so this month is all about surrender and surrendering from within. Now, if you haven't heard, listened to the previous episode before this, it was with the beautiful April Roberts. Please check it out. It was absolutely fantastic. And it's all about really coming back home to yourself as a woman, taking your power back and really surrendering from within. Now this week I have an awesome guest on the show and she's just an amazing soul. It's somebody that I've been following on social media actually for, for a good good year or so. And she really just intrigued me because I really relate with this person culturally because of the upbringings that we had and I really related with a lot of her content. So her name is Radhika Marsh. She's a psychologist and provides very highly skilled containers of heart-based guidance, support and challenges which enables women to find freedom in their life. She guides women through trauma and emotional wounds from adult and childhood life. So she really is about helping women to really come back home to themselves. And this is again why I'm talking about the importance of surrender. So this month is all about surrender and Radhika is definitely all about surrendering from within. She is a former psychologist. She is now very deep in the spiritual world and you'll absolutely love this episode about how the psychology world sees people with trauma, but actually everyone has trauma whether you've had a great upbringing or not we all have some level of trauma hi Radhika I'm so grateful to have you on the show and thank you for joining us today thank you so much for having me I love being on you know other people's podcasts and sharing my journey sharing my messages um so yeah thank you for having me Oh, you're welcome. I've been following your journey for quite a few years now, and it's just amazing to see your transformation as being a psychologist to really being more in the spiritual side of the work that you do. Yes, yeah, it's definitely been, <laughs> definitely <laughs> been a journey, and it continues to be, you know, it's like this kind of constant... Um, yeah growth like periods of expansion periods of contraction and this like ebb and flow between the two spaces um because that's what you know that's what healing and growth is about being in those two spaces and being able to navigate navigate that you know yeah um, and it continues it continues 
Beautiful. And so I want to kind of start from the beginning. What was your life like before you became a psychologist? Before I became a psychologist, so this is now like, oh, I started training as a psychologist in 2007. So it was quite a while ago now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was like, what, 27. So I, I, I was like in a good, you know, in a good space on the surface um of things but also you know I was in like a in a space of like wanting to I guess like have that validation yeah yeah the validation of I'm intelligent enough because that was a big wound for me growing up you know that I just didn't really like I felt like the black sheep um (laughs) I didn't fit the kind of Asian mold of of what other people were doing, which was going yeah. down the typical medical route or um, dentistry or doing something with maths or law and all that, like really kind of what would be in in quotation marks, intelligent, uh, intelligent stuff, right? The law and and all that kind of thing. And I was like, that is not what I want to do. And yeah, so it was this journey of, um, I guess always, I was always like this, I had this rebel, (laughs) like a really good girl, but like this rebel um, side of me, I'd be the argumentative one, I'd be the one like fighting back and not scared of like, you know, squaring up to my dad or whatever. And um, yeah, so when I kind of like, I felt like I always, I was always in that black sheep thing that always in that space of being seen as the failure, because I didn't get the grades that, you know, um, other Asian kids were getting, you know, I felt like I had a really difficult kind of mental health time during my teens, a very silent struggle. And it really affected my, you know, my grades and um, whilst everybody was sort of getting like, you know, these A stars, because that was the typical kind of thing, (laughs) you know, Um, and this comparison, you know, this, this big comparison of like, okay, it's GCSE day, what have all the kids got in their the community literally calling around to find out like what people got. And I, and I didn't get terrible results, but I didn't get any A's. I got like, I think I got like seven B's and two C's. And to a lot of people that would be amazing. But it's amazing, yeah. <laughs> my family, it was like, you know, how, like they, there was a lot of shame there mm. for my parents. And so it was a very, comp- like a being brought up in a very competitive um, status mm. uh, sort of, um environment you know and so then that brought shame for my parents and then as a result also shame for myself yeah yeah I totally understand oops sorry I was just gonna say I totally understand um what you're saying because I'm the same actually funny enough um I didn't get like the top grades I 
grew up having almost like for me I had like a lost identity growing up in an environment where I didn't really see people like myself but then there was this pressure to succeed and be successful I didn't follow the same route either I was actually a journalist (laughs) yeah and when I first shared that I wanted I was studying journalism the whole community was like oh but my Mm. son's a doctor and I'm like good for you auntie (laughs) (laughs) I'm like what is this comparison like you said so I didn't yeah I didn't get all A's at GCSE even A levels like I I even for English literature language I got two C's and I managed to still become a journalist and it made me realize that grades don't define us we define who we become and the only time and I don't know if you felt this like the only time I actually felt like smart was when I was actually studying my master's and I was around Oxford and Cambridge students and I was like damn I'm actually quite smart I never yeah. felt like that growing up it was only later in life I thought whoa I'm yeah. really smart but in a different way to the textbook I guess yeah <laughs> yeah it's that like for me it's definitely been a journey of redefining what intelligence looks like yeah. um, and what it you know what that means like you can be the most academic person and be highly emotionally unintelligent you know or (laughs) (laughs) you could be so like highly academic and and emotionally intelligent but you know a lot of it was redefining you know what is my intelligence like I have creative art artistry as an intelligence and Mm. I can I can like I have a vision for things I can put together branding around stuff and create that you know I've got like this feeling of okay what is this like this vision of what this program is going to be like for example and what's the energy around it how do I want to portray the feel of it you know so there's so many yeah so many intelligences that we have and um it's definitely been like a journey of deconstructing like what is that you know what what does it look like for me and it it sort of come back to this space of enoughness Mm. you know enoughness and worth and um you know when you brought up in a culture where and it and i'm not this doesn't represent all asians right but yes (laughs) In just definitely, a, in, <laughs> just a small minority. <laughs> yeah. Like in my family, definitely in my community, there's a huge focus on what you look like. Yes. Oh my god. On your body, um, you know, not being too skinny, but not being like chunky. Too, yeah. <laughs> and then, and um, a huge focus on you know on um, academics academics and success and status status and wealth and um you know the weddings and like yeah all of that kind of stuff and it's you can see like the layer the deep layers of generational uh pride but also shame yeah yeah it's there um, and it starts from such a young age that we don't even realize it's happening. It's only as we get older, we're like, oh, that's not normal. And when you start to talk to people from all different walks of life, then you're like, oh, this is quite a similar pattern in other actually um, other communities as well. So it wasn't just people who are a small minority of the South Asian community. It's in every community, but in a slightly different way. Yes, absolutely. And I see that with my clients. You know, I have a lot of women from 
um, all walks of life working with me. And it's just really, really interesting how much trauma there is, you know, how much you like the message that we're given around trauma is that um, and and this is true, this is true to a degree, but the the message that we've always I always kind of was taught even as a as a psychologist was you know trauma is highly associated with lowest lower socioeconomic oh. groupings and uh, trauma is associated with um poverty with with like those factors which put you in where you tick the boxes for the aces i don't know if you know about aces but it's like um it's like the they created like this profile of if you if you have experienced these things like domestic violence drug a parent with a drug addiction being a carer um emotional abuse or sexual abuse all those kind of things you're at higher risk of mental health issues right so and 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 which is true because 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 you're you're starting from a vulnerable space of maybe not being held in the way that your basic needs need to be held Mm. but what i've seen from like the people who come and have come and have worked with me is that there is so much trauma as well in other groupings and it's and it's really interesting, like, yeah, that's that's been such an eye opener for me Wow. Um, to see that, that it's not just, you know, it's not just like certain groups. Um, and yeah, when I say trauma as well, I mean, like, you know, a lot of women that, that come and work with me have have experienced some form of sexual abuse, mm. have experienced some form of um you know, either in childhood or like incidences in adulthood where there's been a crossing of, you know, a clear kind of abuse um, there, or there's been a lot of childhood trauma patterns um, that emerge in, you know, in adulthood. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's complex. It's a complex um, thing. Yeah. I 100% relate with what you're saying because even with my clients they come from all walks of life and yeah okay you might have you might might have grown up in a wealthy family but generations back you would have had a family member who was at a low socioeconomic place and that pattern then is handed over from generation to generation I really don't feel like it's it's people who are how better off that they don't have problems I think sometimes there's more problems there as well that we we don't know about um and it fascinates me like that yourself, like, you know, it, it opens your eyes up to a new world that actually trauma exists in every family. Even if you had the most, you know, happiest childhood, there will be some elements of trauma still there. Yes. And it's kind of like, you know, breaking that myth that, you know, if you if you're brought up in a family where you're provided for financially or um that you're looked after, that you go to a private school, even like those kind of things that, that, that means that your emotional needs are met. And that often isn't like, (laughs) that often isn't the case, you know, that they might be, but in a lot of situations, 
that they they're they're also not yeah it's interesting you're saying that because I I worked with young people about a decade ago for a charity um I used to teach them how to produce um films and it was interesting when I was working with certain groups and you know when I'd worked with with young people who came from very privileged backgrounds they were struggling to actually pay attention and there was underlying issues which I started to realize and you know a lot of people don't realize that yes okay you can have privilege but actually everybody in this world has trauma little or big there's always we all have some trauma because it's also generational it's ancestral it's cultural it's societal baggage that we've picked up from such a young age yes yeah and I guess that's the piece it's like you know there are obviously groups there are obviously more vulnerable um groups of people you know who are going to be affected and are more vulnerable to trauma right yeah um but there's but there's also like these hidden groups there's these hidden groups of people who because they're because there's the tick boxes of what they have they mm-hmm. can actually then feel this sense of well what do i have to worry about what why do i feel this shit way about myself why do i not like mm-hmm. have this sense of self-worth why do i always go for you know, relationships where I am not treated well or, and so you can, because you've had that, like, you know, um, because you've had tick boxes of, of how your needs have been met in childhood, you can then just end up berating yourself even more because it seems as though there's no reason for you to feel this way other than, other than you being the problem. Yeah. I think what's fascinating is I think with women in particular, you can be the most successful women. You can have like the amazing career, you know, you can have an amazing place, but we have deeper wounds that have been handed from generations to generations. Like, you know, there was a time where women couldn't even buy their own houses. You know, everything was in the man's name and women had like spending habits. And, you know, you look back at the lineage and you start to understand why, women are are feeling the way they feel and it's deeply rooted from how patriarchy and how women were treated from decades ago yes yeah absolutely and and also you know adding to it there's 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 also this confusion of identity as well with women now like if you look at you know the entrepreneurial sort of journey as as a woman um or like people doing doing the work that we do and you're trying to grow a business and all of those things like actually you know you can you can end up like moving so much into the masculine space yes. and it's like you know you've got you you can lose sight of yourself in the feminine hmm. and it's a, it's actually like a confusing um it's it's a confusing journey where it's like, okay, I want to be independent. I want to make money. I want to do the things that I want to do. But how do I also step back into my feminine so that there's that um, there's that harmony? You know, there's that harmony yeah. in relationship with yourself and with with your family. Yeah, 
I don't know about for you, but for, for me, like growing up, it was all, it, I guess it's like the immigrant trauma, right? So your your parents are hard workers. And I grew up seeing that from a young age and like family around me. So I always was had was very much in this masculine energy. Then I ended up becoming a journalist and they're like, you need to be this alpha female. And I was always on the go. And then mm. when I left that world and I and I started to create my business, um, I was pushing and pushing, living off hardly our sleep, which was ridiculous when I look back. But it was the trauma, obviously, the immigrant rune trauma of, you know, always needing yes. to work hard. And I didn't yeah. know how to receive, you know, that was my biggest problem growing up. I didn't know how to receive because no one really showed me or self-love yeah. as well. It wasn't mirrored for me because within our community, most of the time, the women don't know how to love themselves. And that's OK, but we have to learn how to then learn to love ourselves which yeah. can be a, a yeah. whole new ball game of of deep wounds that come out um but it was yeah. only till I actually had um a kidney problem where I ended up having like a, an operation is when I had to slow the fuck down and that's when I had to surrender and my partner at that time was just like girds what the hell are you doing like you you need to slow down and I was like no but I've got a business I've got to help people I've got to change the, you know the world <laughs> and he's like yeah. you're damaging yourself right now and I was like oh yeah. And, you know, that was the only time I started to come back home to the feminine. So then it was learning how to balance, like you said, the masculine and the feminine. We we need both. But we have to, as women, I feel since like the 80s era have been in these shoulder pads, you know, powerhouse energy. Like we have to get shit done like men. But actually, we just need to be ourselves. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, that learning to receive the learning of softness, the the learning of um, like everybody, everything doesn't have to be done now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't have to be done today. <laughs> it's okay. It can be things can be like spread out. And yeah, it's it's sometimes your body is like, you know, you have to go to those. It's a shame, isn't it? That we have to go to those places to learn that, right? To to go to those places of feeling unwell physically to to learn the harsh harsh lesson, right? Yeah. I don't know if you've noticed that, but even the older generation of women, that's the reason why they were getting sicker because they weren't slowing down and listening mm -hmm. to their bodies. And even men, like I look back at the, you know, a lot of the businessmen in the eighties and nineties, why were they getting health conditions? Because they weren't slowing down as well and, you know, relaxing and taking time out in nature and connecting with themselves yeah yeah absolutely what was like your turning point to then like enter the feminine mm, that's a good question probably entering the feminine for me was um connecting with my emotions mm. connecting with um it was almost like You know that like permission to be me and going on that journey of like oh what i can just show up as me and <laughs> it's okay you know that i'm still what i'd still be loved mm. and like also facing you know like really facing those dark shadows which in some ways is a masculine in some ways it's a masculine act like facing the darkest parts of yourself but in the darkest parts of yourself is where the feminine lies you know it's like the part of you that fears something or that doesn't feel that sense of enoughness or fears rejection and abandonment or whatever it might be and like when you when you go to those places um and connect with that vulnerability mm -hmm. 
within yourself, then you're tapping into the feminine. And, and also, you know, in that journey as well, like learning to connect with joy. And like, for me, that's been a huge journey. And for my clients as well, like often people who um, come and work with me, like, you know, and I think this is the same for a lot of people, they don't actually know what it is that brings them joy. They don't know that they're kind of so people are so used to being in um, the space of like adapting themselves or people pleasing Mm. their partners or their children or their families that they have no idea like what really lights them up and brings them joy. And not just that, but like actually giving yourself permission to go and do those things and explore it. So yeah, like a huge part of my journey has been, you know, I've been married well with my partner since well for more than 22 years and (laughs) yeah quite a long time so I was 21 when I met him and um you know I was still a baby really in that I didn't have that I I'd never had that experience of what does like what does what is it that I want you know, what is it that I want to experience? And I didn't feel brave enough to go after those things. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't until like the last sort of three years that I thought, right, I'm going to go and do these things by myself. I'm going to I'm going to go and hang out like abroad by myself, for example, and see what that like brings. Mm-hmm. And um you know, it's quite like a revolutionary thing to do when when you've been, you know, in the same relationship dynamic, <laughs> where <laughs> you kind of like just with each other all the time, you know, and you do things together, you don't go and do stuff by yourself, right? Yeah. So to have those com- like conversations, and it's, it, you know, doing that kind of thing has been such an awakening um, of like, really, giving myself full permission to explore what I need to explore. Yeah. And I'm almost... oh, sorry. Go. <laughs> it's okay. I was just going to say, and actually like the denial of it, the denial of, of the, those kind of simple explorations um, just led to suppression. Mm. The suppression was the thing that, that brought out like, ugly sort of dark shadows you know it brought it kind of put me into like these patterns of secrecy or Mm. shame or you know things like that and as soon as I started giving myself permission to experience joy to explore myself you know in a, a deeper level to go after my dreams um, it's like everything else started clicking. So my relationship started my, with my husband started feeling more aligned. You know, our vision together has has shifted and felt more aligned. I felt closer to my partner and my son because my needs are being met. And it's it's not even somebody else meeting my needs. So it's right. It's not my husband <laughs> meeting my needs. Actually, it's me meeting my needs. Yeah. 
And I feel that's the inner child, right? We our inner child, we've suppressed them for so long. And when we first give ourselves that permission, it's like the the inner child comes out and then it's like, what do you need? And she's like, I want to play. And then it's like going back to like letting her be free and letting the inner boy out of your husband be free as well, right? It's it's allowing you to play the dance of life. And I think a lot of us in this world have become so serious, you know, we're like our jobs and our career paths and, you know, what we need to be in society, you know, going back to our culture, right? We have to hit all these deadlines, but that's not life. Life is being in the moment. Life is having that joyfulness. Life is is dancing together. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And we that's the thing that that people lose sight of uh, sight of. You know, you get on this treadmill and you've got to be mindful of it when you're running your own business as well. Um <laughs> of like, you know, just pushing and forcing and like actually you can end up being in this fear state constantly and without even realizing it yeah um and and you can so easily lose sight of like okay hold on a minute what have i done today that feels or what it could be a little experience like what has what have i connected to today that that has brought me joy a hundred percent like it, that just with what you're saying reminds me of where I was a few years ago. So I was actually bed bound for a few years, Radhika, um, mm. with my, cause I had a kidney operation. It went fine. Then I ended up having kidney disease and I was like, I'm, this is not my life. I, you know, yeah. I have to find a way, but mm. in those moments I had to find moments of joy when, you know, I'd be tired to, to go to the kitchen or I'd be tired to just like get up and stuff. I had to realize like there is joy in the little things, you know, joy getting out of bed today, joy, just having a little yeah. dance. And I never grew up thinking that way, right? It's only when we're in those moments where you start to understand that actually joy can be anything. It doesn't have to be this magical thing where you're running around in a field or something. Yeah, it doesn't have to be these huge acts. And yeah. um, be like, yeah, like even now I'm like looking out, you know, out through my the window and the leaves have all turned like this goldeny mm. yellow color and it's so beautiful you know the way the light is catching it and yeah and that's being in the present moment and the joyfulness that you're saying right it's 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 we we are too busy running 10 steps ahead instead of actually being where we are right now on a day-to-day basis yes yeah and you can get caught up in it you can get caught up in this whole like um space around manifestation around all of those kind of dialogues right which are quite a westernized um westernized phenomenon isn't it yeah yeah and you know if you're not careful you're just living in the future living in i want the vision to come through i want the vision (laughs) to come through and you've forgotten that the vision that you wanted three years ago has come true yeah (laughs) it's now right (laughs) you know it's interesting you're saying that I was talking to a friend got a few months back and she's like I don't know why this is not happening so quickly and I was like do you remember when we were at university she's like yeah I was like it took us three years to get our degrees and she's like oh and I'm like yeah things are not going to happen straight away we've got to just keep taking you know moving forward with it but it'll eventually happen but there's no rush Yes, have to be so quick. I I think we're just living in a fast paced world right now that thinks, oh, I'll just manifest once and it'll come to me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) A bit like the Aladdin, right? When you rub the the, the genie. (laughs) 
Um, I wanted to talk to you about something that I actually saw recently um, on your social media about spiritual bypassing and, and you know, and what, what happened to you. Um, because I feel like I've personally been through it myself as well. I know there's a lot of people of color who've been out there and have felt this. Um, a lot of the tools that are used within the spiritual community comes from our cultures, but we're made to feel like we, like we're kind of talked down to I just mm. wanted to get what, how what was your experience of of being in the spiritual community yeah I mean I've been in like different I guess I've been in a lot of different spaces I I I've invested in a lot of different groups and trainings and learning and so on and it's like you know there can be that sense of okay so there's two different things here I think yeah there's like your responsibility for your wounds yes <laughs> ultimately and there's also the bit around the bigger picture of you know the spiritual space is probably like such a is such a sensitive space around this topic around cultural appropriation around all of that because you know, it's it's supposed to be a space of really equality. Yes. <laughs> you know, like it doesn't have it doesn't have to be that way. But you'd you'd think that in the spiritual space, that there would be more Asian faces that have large followings. You'd think that there would be more, like I guess, higher end, successful yeah. Asian business women or um you know people from from communities where a lot of these practices have been have essentially been taken from right and so it it can you can it can feel so sensitive because it's like the perfect example is i was brought up right from a family who immigrated to england from sri lanka I was given an English name because my parents felt at the time like there was some level of shame about having an Asian name and they wanted it to make it they wanted to make it easy for white people. Yeah. <laughs> right? So so I had to take on an English name. Gosh. And then and then I changed it when I got uh, married. I ch I actually changed it anyway before then. My middle name to my first name. To, wow. to my name was Angela. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, my name is Angela, and then my I've changed that to my middle name. And now, when I see like people, when I see white people, and they have an Asian name, yeah, like. Or there be something, or Swaraswati. like I, I just find it really insensitive. Yeah, same, same. And it, same. and that's the kind of thing. It's like it's, it's just that piece around. I think it's just respect, isn't it? Yeah, it's like a total lack of awareness, though, mm. of wounds that can be carried by people of color. And I have actually not felt it as much as I do as I have done in the spiritual space. Oh. I didn't really feel it much before that. Hmm. So it's really, really interesting. 
And at the same time, the way that I see it is I don't like I'm not I don't want to get hung up on those wounds because I'm here to do what I'm here to do. Yeah. And I and I'm not letting other th things like that get in the way of my mission <laughs> and what I'm here to do and how I'm here to serve people and my beautiful presence and and um the beauty that I bring and the perspective that I bring as a woman of color mm. you know, a woman of color who's been brought up in England that like the richness of 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 that experience of, of that experience and my unique experience it just can't be replaced by somebody who's calling themselves yeah. by an Asian name. I really understand what you're saying because a few years back I was getting so mad when like all these people like, like not all these people I'm saying but like um people that had who were English and they had South Asian names it used to irritate me and they'd want to be on my podcast and I'm like I'm sorry I can't have you on the podcast and they'd be like why and it's because I'm like I just don't understand why using the term guru or certain things, because for me, guru, like I'm Punjabi. So I, I my parents emigrated here as well. Um, and, you know, for me, guru was like in the Sikh background, the, the 10 gurus. And I don't see somebody who calls himself a guru because for me, it's like you're, you're beyond, um, you're beyond humans. Yes. Yeah. Everyone, for me, I've grown up learning to respect everyone as equal. So when somebody calls himself guru, to me, that's a sign of ego. Mm, and so yeah. I, I just it just never sit well with me or you know the names as well and I struggled like well not struggled I, I I grew up you know with I had my actual first name so Gurdeep and you know my whole life people would get it wrong or they would just be ignorant and yeah. I, I, I and I understand with what you're saying because one of my ex-boyfriends many many years ago had the same thing where his parents gave him an English name and then his Indian name was his second name and, you know, it was so confusing for me, but I understand why people did it. And, but then yeah. it causes this layer of complexity of identity crisis. Who are you? Um, but yeah, I always struggled with when people gave themselves South Asian names because it's like, oh, we're going to take this term because we've created a business and we're going to brand ourselves as that. And it's like, no, please don't yeah. do that. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's, it's difficult. It, I mean, I... I also see the other side of it, which is like, it's really beautiful that somebody has absolutely adored the Asian culture to call themselves by an Asian name. When actually like for years and years, you know, Asian culture has been mocked or people have been seen in a certain way we've been represented in films as like you know some geeky asian kid with glasses yeah <laughs> right and it's and it's just so embarrassing so like it's it's really beautiful to see that like you know there are there, there's an there's there's an appreciation of what we what what has traditionally been in our line and i i guess the the piece that i come back to from the different experiences I've had it, with this situation is coming back to like who I am, to mm. my voice, to my message, to my to my ancestry, to the beauty of that. And that's what actually like this experience that I had taught me because, you know, essentially it was a group of, it was a container where we were learning about indigenous practice. Oh, wow. That was led by 
a white woman mm. and actually the container was really beautiful i learned so much from it yeah. which is why it was confusing um but then the 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 messaging group was kept open and in that group this is months later yeah. um i just felt this like you know there was a lot of talking about altar practice and our connection with that and it's it's quite vulnerable for for me as an asian person to talk about like my lack of connection that i felt with that for example mm. and then to sort of then receive like this patronizing tone yeah from some from somebody who like has maybe been to india <laughs> stayed in an ashram and and it's kind of like not wanting to disrespect their journey as well yeah but it's that patronizing tone you know yeah. and it, this is where like people aren't even aware of it it's like i've had an altar in my generation for like for hundreds of years wow you know? So there's so many subtleties to it. And yeah, I I think the experience has brought me back to, it's really kind of, um, you know, it all kicked off. And I was basically told, you know, you can't join the next layer of training unless you (laughs) transcend your wounds around this. And they said, you know, the person, the the elder who was um, supporting the the lady to run this, um, they kind of used his voice as like the elder voice, which was, you know, we we don't accept any talk about cultural appropriation. So you transcend these wounds and if you can transcend them, then you can join us. And it was like it was basically gaslighting yes and it was so confusing because mm-hmm. amongst it i felt this deep rejection yeah yeah until i realized about five minutes later yeah. <laughs> somebody pointed it out to me and they were like yeah this is this gaslighting yeah it's gaslighting it really is and and the letter was com- the email was confusing so essentially the whole thing was really confusing because it was like okay we're learning about indigenous practice and i loved the container yeah actually what what you're saying uh, what you what this person was saying what these people were saying essentially was this program this training is for people who are going to listen and do what we say yeah and if you're angry if you have human emotion if you don't agree with things, if you challenge people in an activated way, then you're bad, you know, or like colonization all over again. Yes. And that's exactly what it was. It was like (laughs) the colonizers voice, like, you know, silencing the one Asian woman in the container. Yeah. It's because from my own experience it's usually they're scared of what we're going to share because we have those natural awarenesses like I really understand with what you're saying because a few years back you know the whole yogi bhajan um, kundalini yoga so I had a lot of friends who were doing it and they weren't people of color and you know they started telling me what was happening and I'm like and I'm Punjabi right so yogi bhajan was a Sikh man who brought took um, Sikh spiritual practices and put it into yoga and then the words got to, like changed like 
uh, Satanam would like be separated to Satnam and certain things he'd rechanged and stuff. And yeah. so then I had people who weren't people of color trying to tell me what the Sikh background is. And I'm like, mate, I grew up in this environment. I went yeah. to the temple. I sang prayers on stage. I, I have a big awareness. But they would then talk down to me like yeah. I didn't know anything. And I'm like, hold up. This is in my lineage. And, mm. you know, it really does kind of. Rating. Yeah. And it's frustrating. And it's gaslighting. And it's. Yeah. You don't want to scream. <laughs> there's also like this complexity as well of like. You know, with parents who were immigrants, it's yeah. like my parents' priority was not teaching me necessarily like the ins and outs of like what everything means to do with an altar. So it's mm -hmm. like my mum would be steeped in like her altar, like every day she'd be lighting, wow. lighting the um, the wick and like, you know, her things that she did, her rituals. But nobody ever explained to me what any of those things meant. Yes, yeah, same, same. We go to the temple, but didn't really. We sit there and be like, "Oh, yeah. what's this about?" <laughs> yeah, be what you're told, right? It's like yeah. like going to a wedding, right? The number of oh, God. Sri Lankan weddings I've been to, and it was like it was only when I got to my wedding that I was like, "Hey, what does this actually mean?" <laughs> so, so, but so then you can have like in white people or or people from other cultures or whatever actually understanding what things mean and coming and telling you and you don't know right but it's in your lineage it's deeply rooted in your daily practice for like you know 40 years and then you've got somebody coming and telling you what it means and it it brings up this like it brings okay. up um shame it brings up discomfort mm. it brings up like this resentment you know all of those things and it's like it, you have to kind of look beyond that and mm. really come back to okay like what somebody has learned on a 200 hour training course or whatever <laughs> is never going to replace the ancestral wisdom that you have in your lineage exactly and i think to, like yeah that the more connection you develop with that yeah the the, the stronger you will you you not be worrying you're not going to be worrying about what other people are doing i think just, also, sorry God. <laughs> yeah i was just saying you're not going to be worrying about what other people are doing as much because you're going to be so in your lane in your truth in your um and what you have to share with the world 100% and what I realized in those moments was that I just needed to go back a bit more into my culture and understand things on a deeper level um, yes. and it doesn't mean that it has to be used in my work but it helps me to have a deeper understanding of where I come from what are what what are the teachings that I can actually share um, but also what I realized in those situations that you know you were in that group setting that's not your community then you know, it's a blessing. The yes. universe is kind of saying to you that actually you do not need to know this stuff. You already know a lot of it already because it's within you. You just yes. need to dig deeper within yourself and understand and take yourself out of that situation. Yeah, absolutely. It was like a um, it was like a yanking from the universe, literally, like the way that it all unfolded was like, OK, I'm saving you. Yeah. Like, don't invest 12 grand in this thing. <laughs> do it within yourself <laughs> yeah <laughs> like 
And then after the period of like, you know, that shake up, that nervous system shake up where it was like, oh my gosh, like I feel this so in such a painful, horrible, awful way and just feeling so vulnerable, so questioning myself, Hmm. questioning like, you know, did I respond in a bad way? Um, Was I being passive aggressive? Like, you know, kind of like really questioning my myself um after coming out of that it actually felt like i just felt at peace mm-hmm. like this deep sense of peace around things and who i am and um and it's just really informed like you know what i do and how i want to lead spaces and just this thing around inc- like i guess inclusion of um people from different backgrounds and yeah all all communities you know yeah I think what I've realized and I I think you might have noticed as well is that you know because we have businesses we're like oh we need to learn the next thing and this and that and get this training and this but actually we don't need half of those things we just need to listen to the wisdom from within we already have those gifts we already have those talents we just think that we need another label in order to make ourselves look better in the world yes yeah it's true I also think though that there is like you know if you desire something and that's the bit to like work out like am I desiring something because I want to get really skilled at this thing and it feels Mm. really exciting yeah or am I desiring this thing because I feel shit about myself (laughs) yeah that's a good way of seeing it (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So then it's it's like when I did my doctorate, like, you know, it doesn't matter how high you get with the education. If even when I got onto the doctorate, my narrative around it was, well, it's not kind of like a proper doctorate. Oh, God, (laughs) what? (laughs) It was like, you know, at the University of Bristol and... And what was the other narrative? It was like, you know, I fluked it. That's I I got got on one of the final places. So but there were only 13 places anyway, (laughs) out of however many hundreds of people apply who applied. So it was like this real sort of harsh narrative in inside um, that was ruling it. So, you know, doing things from that place is different from doing things from that place of I'm really excited to learn this thing and like there's a training that I'm running in in January called the Academy of Healing and you know that's about teaching you how do you become um you know a better a better more skilled practitioner of healing Mm. because we need you know we do need those skills actually around trauma around trauma attunement but around how do we support clients in in a powerful way to create that longer lasting change Mm. you know and all all of those things bringing in different modalities so you know i I sort of feel like you know we do need that skill set don't we yeah some sometimes there's this message of um you don't need any of those things um just just be you 
but actually when it comes to supporting people around trauma right you do oh, actually... no, yeah you do <laughs> you're right you, you need to have that awareness and yeah yeah so yeah. I think that message sometimes like get sometimes I think people get confused with it like I think it's yeah I think it's different when you know you have that skill set from a young age and you've been doing it your entire life that it, not everybody has that right some people yeah. just I think that's the difference if you've naturally had it for gen- like years and years that's different but then you're right there are people that are like okay yeah I want to become this and yeah 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 and they're like oh yeah I will help people with trauma but actually no you're right they need to learn the tools in order to yes. help support people on a, on a better level instead of being triggered because there's a lot of people that get triggered by other people's trauma when they're helping them yes yeah exactly or this or people are scared people are scared um of doing the wrong thing yeah I never thought about that actually yeah people are so scared of doing the wrong thing of not being you know if I you know if I kind of go to this place with my client then like what if I do it wrong and then so then you don't go to the places you don't go to the difficult places because you're like frightened that's fascinating actually yeah Yeah. so because there's so much of that narrative around you've got to be trauma informed you've got to be trauma informed mm. which is true, which is true to a degree but actually it's like a it's a bit of a fear-mongering term yeah the way yeah. That it's used yeah I can actually see that now when you see it on social media right it's very serious and yes it's heavy it's so heavy and it's like actually it doesn't give people permission to support people through healing in a in a full full way you know Wow. No, that's amazing. I think that's such a powerful thing that you're doing because obviously you've seen in your background being a psychologist and how it, how the term trauma has been. And then now seeing it in the spiritual world, it's like you're bringing a blend of both in together, which is quite magical. Yes. And I wonder with the words trauma-informed, like where have those words come from? Yeah, I do wonder. <laughs> it's probably come from professionals who are trying to protect all the hard work they put into their practice. Do you know what I mean? Like, I never where, thought about that. Yeah. It's come from like quite traditional spaces probably where it's like, okay, well, we don't want other people to do this work. So let's, wow. protect, it. let's protect it. It's ours, you know, it's ours, not other people's. Oh, that is sad, isn't it? <laughs> the world. <laughs> but then, then what are these labels, right? This is a thing I, you know, I don't know if you were the same, but in the beginning I used to, like I might, the, my, um, what I was doing was change. It was like life coach and transformational coach. And it just kept changing. And then I realized what the hell am I doing? The gifts yeah. that I give are far beyond the, the, the label. Yes. Yeah, um, absolutely. But we need that name for them people to understand what we do. But I think there's so much importance, like you said, the trauma informed to, to hold on to it, but actually there's more beyond that. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, we are coming towards the end of the show. And um, I've just got two questions there for you. Um, what are your five top tips for someone who wants to become wild and free but doesn't know where to start? So wild and free. So first of all, there's this perception of like, what is wild and free? Because like that whole narrative has probably had a negative association, especially as women. Yeah. When you think of like the wild and free women, woman, the wild and free woman has probably been seen as like, you know, drinks too much um is a bit loose <laughs> love it <laughs> like too sexually free you know or something or something like that like the wild and free woman is the woman who 
feels free to express herself whether that's like in private or in public like you know she can express who she is without the constant fear of judgment you know Mm -hmm. she just gets to be her she gets to surrender to all of who she is so like one of the steps is deconditioning what what people think that means because the wild and free woman she has permission to do the things that fill her up with joy that could be going cold water swimming Mm. it could be like having a really nourishing bath in the middle of the day Mm. you know it doesn't have to be like okay i'm like i'm gonna travel the world (laughs) it could be that as well right i'm gonna i'm gonna up and leave and travel the world so it could be that but it could be the simplest of things it's there's so much wrapped around the wild woman which is actually around permission and safety to be free to be in free expression to be in um a life of choice and joy so like shifting the narrative around that um The second thing is like, you know, doing the shadow work. So like for me, for example, I've always been this sensual um, woman, you know, I've always danced in like a sensual way. I've always expressed myself in that way. And it was like such a um, suppressed part of me. And, you know, part of being a wild woman has been, or like adopting my wholeness has been, has been going to those places and allowing those parts of me to be seen. And I've kind of had to like really go for it at times. Like, you know, it, it can be in so many different ways. I've had to like really go through a process of exploring what that looks like for me. And it, and that's also evolved over time. And you can see on my Instagram that it's evolved. So yeah, that's also part of it, like accepting those shadows, accepting the parts of you that you've suppressed, that you've shamed and inviting those parts of you in to your life and not pushing them away but actually looking at why they do bring you shame yeah. and embracing them. I really understand what you're saying because, and I don't know if you had the saying, was like being in the cultures we grew up, like it was shameful to show some skin and it was shameful to be wild and free and it was shameful to just be central. And yeah. it, I had to, I remember when I started my inner work 11 years ago, I had to really peel off those layers of, of judgment and how I was made to feel for wearing hot pants on the night out, for example, or a short top. And it was, it was yeah. allowing myself to just express myself the way I want to. Yes. Yet at the same time, I don't know about your specific lineage, but in, in like, you know, when you look at saris, oh, when yeah. you look at Asian, yeah. wear, when you look at Asian dancing, it is so damn sensual. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's highly sensual and quite sexual as well, actually. And it's seen as normal. <laughs> and so actually we're from a lineage, we're from lineages that naturally embody sensuality yet it's like this thing of okay well it can only be permitted 
in these situations and contexts you know it can only yeah. it's only permitted on a film on a bollywood film or something right yeah <laughs> or if you're in an if you're like in an asian dance show you yeah. know you show that sensuality or if you're going to a wedding and you're wearing a sari right it's like saris are so so sexy and sensual but it's like in that context it's okay but wearing hot pants yeah. nightclub <laughs> <laughs> what i used to find so funny was like you know you might wear a sari and you know you might show a bit of your stomach or you know and then an old like an old woman would come up to you and have a go at you or say oh that's a bit too revealing and you're thinking hold up your stomach is out and nobody's saying anything but you're having a go at me <laughs> yeah it's interesting isn't it (laughs) yeah it's fascinating sorry then what are the other three top tips um for someone Um, who wants to become wild and free um so i said about the narratives the other one is i think i've referred to this already but permission like you've got to start giving yourself that permission to meet your needs Mm -hmm. you know you're not here to serve everybody else all the time and that's the generational thing that that you know a lot of people are brought up with from lots of different cultures you know that the women the women are secondary or third or fourth along the line in terms of meeting their needs so it's like my mum you know she always serves us the food Mm -hmm. and it's like she won't come and sit down and eat with us because mm-hmm. she's running around serving and making sure we whether we want a second serve of food or you know she's she's so conditioned in that role yeah. and it's like she would only eat at the end oh so we've had to like really kind of say like come and sit down and eat with us <laughs> so so you know when you've been brought up with like the woman historically like i said in so many communities is yeah. It's like the bottom of the pecking order. It's like, okay, now you get to actually give yourself permission to serve your own needs. So anybody listening to this, it's like, okay, like how can you start looking, caring for what you need even more today? And how can you stop making that a bad thing? Because it's not a bad thing. You get to feel how you want to like how it is that you're feeling about something it doesn't make you bad you get to um go after your desires your joys the things that you want to do the fun things um and like you don't need to apologize for that Mm. there's a huge piece around permission um the other bit is like tapping into play you know like i said earlier on what does what does wild woman what does freedom look like to you what does play look like to you and that's going to be an individual journey so you've got to work out like what are the things that bring me that joy and it's not about like escapism Mm -hmm. you know when you want to escape and run away that's because you're not happy Mm -hmm. (laughs) with something (laughs) Whereas if it's like this, I desire to experience this thing, it could even be a materialistic thing. You know, it's like, I really desire to like, actually, I really want to treat myself to this purse or, 
this coat or whatever it is and I really desire it you know I really desire the sensuality of that item Mm. the the kind of the specialness of it the luxury of it so it's kind of working out like you know what what is it that's going to bring you that playfulness that joy that um yeah that that wildness and the final thing hmm (laughs) the final thing is what environments and what relationships allow your wild woman to be expressed Mm. because that like often is an indicator of where you feel safe to be you Mm. so again it's like a good exploratory question of like okay where do you feel safe to be you and it might be when i'm on my own so it's like then an invitation of okay maybe i need to start exploring other environments where I potentially can just show up as myself. And this is where there are beautiful, you know, spiritual spaces to do that in where it's like you get to just show up as you and you're accepted. Mm, that's beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing those. And my last question is, what are you most grateful for? Mm. <laughs> I am most grateful for my healing journey. Mm. Yeah, I am just so grateful for like finding this path and to put it into context, like I'm 43 and I only found like spirituality and self-development in the last four years. Wow. And my life has changed just in such incredible ways. And I don't mean like... I have like all this wealth or, you know, the typical things that like people talk yeah. about. I want those things as well. <laughs> Nothing wrong with wanting it as well, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> not in that way, but it's it's been more in how I perceive life, my relationship with myself. I feel free. Like I don't have anything I don't think within me, which I don't, which I feel like, this sense of shame around Mm. so I just carried so much shame yeah and I don't have secrets I don't have any secrets when you've been living a life in secrecy yeah you come out of that secrecy and be like oh do you know what I've got no secrets I've got nothing to hide (laughs) (laughs) it's amazing so I'm just so grateful to be in that space and in this space within that healing of like limitless possibility to be in the mindset of I get to change any pattern of behavior that do- that isn't serving me. Mm, that's beautiful. Thank you, Radhika, for just coming back home to yourself and really trusting the medicine from within, because what you're doing is amazing and you're helping so many other women to come back home to themselves. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. You're welcome. I absolutely love this episode with Radhika because 
it's so important to really love and accept yourself and surrender to who you are supposed to be in this world. And Radhika beautifully did that. You know, she had this psychology background, but she's like, I really need to go into the depths of the spiritual world and really, you know, take my power back as a woman, as a creator, as a weaver, as, as somebody that helps women to heal. And she's really done that. And I honor that because I think sometimes the systems that we grow up in or the education system that we've learned things doesn't always shape what reality is out there and everybody's journey of going from within is different so we really do all need to go back home within ourselves take the tools externally but also go from within and and really listen to what we need and what needs to be healed you know it, it's really a blessing that we we get to do this work in this lifetime and and really get to heal and, and nourish ourselves and come back to ourselves as women because for decades before us, women, you know, have, have have suffered on deeper levels. I'm not saying that we haven't suffered either, but, you know, didn't have, you know, a right to have a home, you know, didn't have money, didn't have access to, to be independent. And here we are in this modern world now where we get to be who and do and be whoever we want to be. Yet there's still the deeper layers of generational and familial ancestral and cultural traumas that that really need to be healed so we can really truly set ourselves free from within we can free from the external view but we also need to heal internally so we really do grow and flourish and prosper i could really go on and carry on but it, you know unfortunately it is the end of the episode and um, but i really want to leave you with this quote that that came to me when when i was when i decided to talk to radhika and it was what happens when women open their hearts? They get better. That's a quote by Haruki Murakami. Now, if you're feeling called to really take your power back, transform your trauma and learn to trust from within, then direct message me about how I can help you heal for the next four months of your journey so you can really let the past go and honour who you are and, and rebirth the new you. Just send me a message at IamGurds, which is on Instagram, I-A-M-G-U-R-D-S, or you can also book in a form that's on my website uh, for a discovery call and we can take it from there. Take care, my sisters. Bye. And remember, stay happy, stay healthy, stay lit. Lit.